0: Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners a technique that is easily learnt and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynephimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Femister.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast show. My very special guest is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you for inviting me, Wayne. So Trevor is a family physician who studied medicine at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. And then he emigrated to Canada, and he became interested in the treatments of chronic pain. He has worked in a multidisciplinary pain management um, clinic and also involved in opioid reduction programs. And he's also served as medical director for a leading pain management provider in Western Canada. And in his spare time, he enjoys literature, he's an avid hiker, cyclist, and traveler. So, welcome, Trevor. It's great to have you on the show. So let's go back. Um, you know, before we came on here, we were talking about chronic pain and you were indicating that we're maybe looking at the wrong thing when we actually have chronic pain, which was an interesting but not new subject for me. So let's backtrack a little bit for our audience, because when we've got chronic pain, and I'm sure everybody listening to this either has it or has a family member or a friend who has chronic pain. You know, they are living their lives affected by this. So my question to you first is, how is chronic pain affecting people's lives?
2: Well, it affects it across the board. We are encouraged when treating chronic pain to adopt a biopsychosocial approach. And the reason is because the effects of chronic pain on people's lives and their family relations their sense of identity in society and so forth, are so profound that we cannot really adequately treat them without looking at the psychological factors as well
1: as the social factors. Okay, so let's dive in um, to that. Let's go big first versus small. Let's go big. How is it affecting us on a society level?
2: Well, it's huge. I was looking at trying to find more recent statistics, but a report from Johns Hopkins University in the United States, obviously very reputable university, in 2012 estimated that the cost to the United States was $675 billion a year. So... Eight years ago, that's oh, a lot of money today, right? So it is huge. I mean, that's the single biggest problem that makes people present to their family physician. Not chronic pain, but pain in general, I mean.
1: Yes, yes, that's a huge, huge number. And yeah, I've, I've read that statistic and heard that statistic before. So that's the society. So, but how does it affect, you know, the individual within their society?
2: Okay, so what happens is people with chronic pain often uh, have disability, which means they're unable to perform certain functions and daily functions, sometimes activities of daily living. So they need help or home care. In extreme cases, it can even extend to personal hygiene, things like that. They're often not working or they're working part-time or they've lost their work. So there's financial issues. They also tend not to socialize with family and friends as often. Because of the misconception, and I hear this all the time, is why would anyone want to socialize with me? I'm no fun. It's just bad news after bad news. And I've had to remind many people that friendship and family ties are made of sterner stuff. Just think if we had a relative who had some sort of physical problem or uh, chronic pain or amputation, We still have the relationship, we still want to see them, and things carry on as normal. But what happens is people believe this and will often get their spouses to make excuses as to why they should not attend this or that function. Then there's a sense of identity loss. I mean, the role in life could be as a breadwinner, caregiver for younger children, for older parents, could be a soccer mom helping at the school tuck shop. All these things, they may look like not very important roles, but to the individual, that is hugely important. You will often see a father cry when he explains that he can no longer kick the ball, the soccer ball, with his children in the backyard, you know, that sort of thing. So there's financial, there's social, there's interpersonal relationships, intimacy, and partners is basically curtailed or affected, certainly impacted, and um, then there's all the psychological problems, the comorbidities, they have dysregulated sleep, insomnia, in effect, they're often just depressed, usually have anxiety conditions, so there's plenty going on. In fact, the question could easily be framed, what part of their lives remain untouched?
1: Right now very little springs to mind. Wow. So basically it affects everything. Okay. So we've talked about how it affects everything in people's lives. So you mentioned at the beginning, maybe we should be measuring this differently. Can you just expand on that?
2: Yes, well obviously when a patient presents with so person presents with chronic pain, they come to the physician expecting removal or lessening of the pain, which course, entirely reasonable. But the problem is that we have so medicalized chronic pain that pain seems to be the enemy number one. Yes, we all want to see that go away. And we do have these pain scales from zero to 10, where 10 is the worst pain imaginable, zero is no pain. And these are subjective. They have some value in a field where we cannot objectively measure intensity of pain. But It's like high blood pressure recordings. You know, if you have a very anxious, hypertensive patient, patient with blood pressure, and they do 20 readings a day, these will usually progressively increase because they start anticipating and dreading the next high reading. There is a sweet spot, as everybody says. So my advice is obviously, you have your own family position if he or she is re- requesting pain scales do them as directed but my own feeling is we as when we learn to drive we tend to drive in the direction we are looking so when you learn that the instructor says don't rub a neck because you'll drive off the road and this is true this is not unique to medicine this is true of all human behavior i remember being a medical student and doing an orthopedic block and everybody at a mall seemed to be looking or have a gait defect, every second person. When I did obstetrics, of course, every female that walked past, every second female appeared to be pregnant. So there's this awareness and, and hyper-awareness. My advice is, and this is difficult, it's also counterintuitive. I won't say it's difficult, but it's not easy. You have to start looking at something for improvement that goes beyond pain. And you do this by focusing on quality of life as well as increased functionality, where you can do more things, say you've had chronic pain for 10 years, if you can prepare a meal, later clean house. These are all milestones that build up your internal center of control. Now, what happens in situations like this, is that perceived increased uh, quality of life and increased functionality are like volume knobs for the pain level. We call these neuromodulators, they're circuits in the brain and spinal cord that can either ramp up or ramp down your pain level. So, the spin off by moving your focus away from pain, you know, just pain, you are rewarded in the end. By having a decrease in pain, decrease in pain by looking further or beyond pain. And it's difficult to do
1: at first and it seems counterintuitive, but it actually works. Very well described. You know, I love that term, neuromodulators. And I've heard it in the context of, you know, other Mm -hmm. interventional techniques that specialists use. But in this more simple, everyday description, you know, it's brilliant to think, yeah, you know, when we focus on patting our dog or hanging out with our dog or taking our dog for a walk, if we can do that, then all of a sudden pain goes down. And I think other people call it distracting, you know, distraction. Yes. Yes. But neuromodulator is kind of a nice science term that, and I love that, you know, you imagine you've got a good old fashioned radio, you're putting the volume down. So you're putting down the volume of your pain with these other activities excellent i really so, enjoy that wayne okay. if i may just give you uh given an analogy
2: obviously metaphors and analogies are very important in chronic pain because we can explain complex concepts by or relatively complex concepts by looking at everyday examples and this helps for what to better understand what i've just said so basically you know people say are you saying chronic pain is in my head I say no, but it's in your brain. Pain isn't a sensation, albeit unpleasant. And like vision, hearing, smell, it's interpreted and experienced in your brain. We know that perfectly normal eyes cannot allow you to see if you have an injury in your occipital cortex, the severity. So this is not new to believe that the perception of pain is in your brain. The other thing is that we know that people who've had an amputation, say of the leg, they often for years have phantom pain in the body part that's been removed. So it cannot be coming from that area, it's gone. And that is because these, as pain, chronic pain develops, the area of activity coding for this pain or interpreting the pain expands because of neuroplasticity, which is the brain's inherent ability to change itself under certain circumstances, much like when we learn a new language or through disuse, forget that very language we were perhaps born with. So that is fundamentally important. It's in the brain. Now, the wiring of your brain and nervous system is very much like the wiring of the house. It can become faulty. And I want to use the alarm analogy. This is very commonly used in chronic pain. So when you touch a hot thing, you know, it goes to the brain and you immediately move your hand off a hot plate. In that context, the pain has biological or evolutionary significance, helping you not to burn your hand off. But in chronic pain, the system becomes oversensitized. So the alarm, which is the pain, pain now is not just the reaction, it's an alarm signal, is basically goes off for any reason, such as in a faulty home alarm system, it can go off during a strong wind or even a raccoon walking past your door. So that kind of helps it explain. When I give these sort of back-to-back, the patients kind of feel, you can see they, they make that association
1: quite strongly. Yes, I like that analogy. It's one I use as well in my teachings, Empowered Relief Program from Stanford. And they put exactly same language, exactly same yeah. alarm and going yeah. off and the nervous system. And it's like, you know, putting on your toast in the morning and all of a sudden the alarm goes off because you've yeah. got some nice toast brewing. <laughs> and we can't get rid of, you know, the alarm system because we need it for our survival and our protection. But uh, when it's oversensitized, then it doesn't work. And we need to reprogram and rewiring the brain is what it's
2: about now the other problem is when is so why is this not handled if it's such a big problem adequately and studies and articles have shown that in certainly north america physicians feel inadequately trained and inadequately experienced to deal with chronic pain and they're really the ones who are left treating it i mean obviously anesthesiologists and physiatrists and orthopedic surgeons so forth deal with chronic pain so that's the one problem There has been lack of training historically and the second problem is that in our current medical delivery model which is changing as we speak we how much time do you have with your family physician 15 20 at most and in a walking clinic apparently it's estimated at under 10 so, how does one deliver these skills? You know, check on and reinforce them it involves a lot of repetition. In the treatment of chronic pain. How does one achieve that in ten minutes, even serial ten minutes, or even if you have a double appointment to you with your own physician? It is a problem.
1: Huge problem. That's right, and um, it's interesting, isn't it, that in our model in medicine is still based on Descartes. Principles of dualism, which just Mm. means we separate the body into parts. Yes. Our brain and our lung and our liver and our kidneys. And you go to your specialist and they all can tell you about their organ or system that they've studied. But those guys are not talking about emotions and mood because that's dealt with the psychiatrist or the psychologist or the counselor. And nobody has any training in both. Exactly. In my
2: book, The Language of Pain, I do make mention that, you know, this, in the 80s, we had a whole lot of medical conferences based on the mind-body connection. And I say it's a mind-body continuum. I mean, psychologically and spiritually, it's all part of who you are. And I mean spirituality, not in a religious sense entirely. I mean it a non-material way. In fact, that's what makes us distinctive. So to say it plays a huge part in our existence is actually an understatement. And they have to be addressed. So people say, well, are you a psychologist or are you a sociologist? No, neither. But this is not uncommon for physicians because if you have somebody who is in legal trouble as a patient or financial problems, you can't ignore that when you treat them. That all this is going on, you have to, it's normal for family physicians
1: to counsel. It's naive to think we can't, we can
2: leave that untouched.
1: Yes, so let's talk about your book because you've informed me about this, you gave it to me a little while ago, and thank you for that. Tell us about it because I think this would be a great resource for people to get their hands on yes. and to learn more about this language yes. of pain, which is everything regarding pain, really. Exactly.
2: So I wrote this book because I tend to be a bit OCD when I'm driving in the sense that I go to work when I get in my car. So even when I worked in Canmore and lived in Calgary, I do think about nothing else. It's just that's what I do. I, but it's selective OCD. It's not through my whole life. So I'm always sort of grappling with stuff, right? And I realized what is the reason that medicine does badly with chronic diseases. We do well with acute conditions, and you know we have antibiotics or antivirals, we do well with surgical conditions, so many things. But we really do badly with chronic diseases because actually it's not addressed, and the treatment plans, although they sound based on what we know, very hard for the patient to buy into. It's like trying to follow a financial plan that you don't understand. And that teaching component is actually missing. Now the idea of ideas and health being inseparable, or knowledge and health being inseparable, is is not new. I mean the shamans used this in ancient cultures. And even in medieval Italy, they sold books at apothecaries for people who made herbal remedies and those early medicines. So they've always been linked. There is a strong link. So I wrote this book and then I thought, well, you know, there's all this stuff about imaging and the fascinating about the neurotransmitters. But I knew I had to write it from the heart rather than the brain. Obviously, the brain was engaged, but I knew that for it had to give the knowledge and be motivational. If it were not motivational, it would not be helpful. So what I do in the book is... I look at the person and I say, well, these are, I have used a concept called the Pareto Principle, you're familiar with it, where 20% of your efforts can basically give you 80% of the results you may want, or more. Now, this is a concept, we see this in complaints department at grocery stores where 20% of their customers give 80% of the flack, or in a sales team, 20% of the salesmen Generate 80% of the business. So, what I looked at is I cherry pick things I feel have got high value. It's evidence based. And I pick things that makes it doable and durable. Those were my objectives. A, it's got to be doable. So, people better need to understand it well. And durability is what wins the day because we see from pain programs, really, the follow up in most pain management programs is about two years. And people will continue something, A, firstly, if it makes sense, and B, if they are deriving real benefit. So it was written from that. So what I do is I say, now, before we were kind of giving advice in a vacuum to a degree, you know, there's this new thing, there's biofeedback, there's this. People pin their hopes on those single entities and then, of course, are disillusioned when that doesn't cure their pain because it's got to be multimodal and you've got to be rewiring all the time. So what I do is I firstly explain, you know, I look at the theories and I've used learning theory a lot. And then I say, you need to build a solid foundation based on meaning, acceptance and then expectation in that order as that's your solid foundation now it's not only with peace things are coming together and then i look at where you leak energy because the biggest the biggest symptom outside of pain in chronic pain is low energy If not the second biggest, the third biggest, it's right up there, right? So, where one leaks energy is that because we've got 15 minutes with our doctor and 10 minutes at a walking, our disease narrative, we collect all the negatives, all the symptoms, everything we want to discuss, because that's where the problems lie. But we forget that for brevity's sake becomes what we tell family and friends. And then when we're driving home, we're repeating that same thing. So the negative self-dialogue is there on a the script. And in the end, what you see clinically is that rather than character being destiny, history or narrative becomes destiny. And you even see family members dishing up food for people that are perfectly capable of doing that. And therefore being, I know they're well-meaning, and it quite got to be sensitive saying this, but that's not helping person when functionality is what means the day, quality of life, right? So that's one of the reason, things we, we need to always look at, is what is your... And I, I show how that can change by adding in your personal narrative small successes that do make a difference. Because once your narrative changes, you're not being asked to falsify or be unrealistic, But once you crack open some, you know, that quote by Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything, that's the way the light gets in. I always think of that. The other thing is that um, I'm not a great believer in fighting pain. People will say to me, you know, I've fought pain for 20 years now. And, well, how about learning? You know, we have the fundraising, we're fighting serious diseases, and it's well-intentioned. But we do know that fight means something very specific in English, in any language. And pushing yourself into a permanent state of flight fight is not wise because it is not a hormonal and other physiological environment in which recovery can take place.
1: I exhort people to
2: let's look at what's going on and rather trick or outsmart
1: or outwit pain. Well, listen, thank you, Trevor. It's been really nice to kind of get an overview of your book and you spent a little while just diving into the flavor of it and what people can expect. And, you know, I love what you've said. Start with meaning and then acceptance and then expectation. And it's usually the other way around. And it's certainly something that I wait for patients to almost be allowed to talk about the meaning of it, because it's such a touchy subject, as you Mm -hmm. said. You know, what can be the point of suffering, you know, for example, but I think there is meaning in suffering. I think there is reasons that yes. we need to, to bring up to the fore And when we do that, everything changes. And that's Correct. the title of your book, you know, the language of pain, mm-hmm. ideas and meanings. So listen, it's been great to have you on the show. I thank you so much for this book. Tell us, where we can find this and purchase it, please.
2: It's available on Amazon. There's an ebook as well as the paperback. And the website is trevorcampbellmd.com. Uh, it's currently being worked on because I'm writing an online pain management course. And I'm also available on Facebook, uh, Dr. with a dot, Trevor Campbell.
1: Well, there you go, everybody. Dr. Dr. Trevor Campbell on Facebook and also his website, travelcampbellmd.com and his books on Amazon called The Language of Pain. Thanks so much, Trevor. Great to see you and talk about this today.
2: Thanks, Wayne. It's been a delight being on your show. Thank you.